is that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Well, hello, I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? The question is, why are Paul's letters so, so, so misunderstood? In fact, I don't think there is a writer in the New Testament that is more misunderstood than the Apostle Paul. And what I mean by that, what, what the way they misunderstand it, Christians misunderstand it, they look at Paul and they say, well, he taught a, a no-law theology. He taught the law was a curse. It was done away with. It was nailed to the cross. It's a burden. It's, uh, it's been abolished. It's been fulfilled. Uh, we're dead to the law. And if you study Paul, <clears throat> you will have him talking out of both sides of his mouth. And you won't have him. You will be reading him talking out of both sides of his mouth. You know, in one place he will, he will say the law is good and we should keep it. Next place he's saying something totally different. So there's hardly anyone that is more misunderstood than the Apostle Paul. But what I want to do today is to ask the question, why? Is there a motive from God's perspective? as to why Paul is so misunderstood. And again, all of this comes from Paul's teaching. Again, the question is why? You know, people don't misunderstand the letter of James. You know, they, they probably don't even read it and don't want to read it is the reason they don't misunderstand the letter of James. But you take a look at it, James 2 and verse 20, he will say, but will you know, O vain, vain man, that faith without works is dead? And was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seeing then how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith alone. Now, does this mean that we are saved by our works? No, of course not. It means, you know, we're saved by the gift of God's grace, but the two work together. What two? Grace and obedience. In fact, you know, if you weren't disobedient, you wouldn't need grace, okay? And what is disobedience? It's the breaking of God's law. 1 John 3, 4 Sin is the transgression of God's law. Because we break God's law, we need grace. Not only that, not only do we need to be forgiven of our past sins, but we need grace to empower us to live a godly life, which is a real struggle in our lives. It really is. So what I'm saying is your faith better be backed up by obedience to God's law if it's not James calls it a dead faith, okay, a dead faith. Now, Martin Luther called James the apostle of straw because he thought he, that Martin Luther thought that James contradicted Paul's teaching, grace alone, no works involved. Actually, that's not what Paul taught, but that, that's what Martin Luther thought Paul taught, grace alone, 
no works involved. So Martin Luther called James, the, he totally discredited him and called him the epistle of straw. Now let's take a look at what Peter said about Paul's writing. What did Peter say? Did Peter say, man, Paul is the easiest guy in the world to understand? You know, you, you'd have to be an idiot not to be able to understand Paul. Let's notice what Peter said about Paul's writing. 2 Peter 3 and verse 16. As also in all his epistles, speaking of them of these things, in which some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest or twist as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. So you have this stern warning from Peter about those that are unstable. They, they're unlearned people. They don't really know that much. They take they proof text the Bible. They take scriptures out of context and they say, this is what Paul was saying. They are unlearned. They are ignorant. They are unstable. And they twist the scripture unto their own destruction. They take Paul's teaching and they create a lawless theology. The law is a curse. The law has been done away with. The law has been nailed to the cross. The law, keeping the law, is a burden. The law has been abolished. The law has been fulfilled. We are dead to the law. Okay, this is what Peter is warning about. Now the question is, I don't want to really get into an argument whether, you know, one way or the other, but the question I want to deal with is this. If you were God, why would you allow the Bible to be written in such a way that it would be so easy to be misunderstood? Why? If you were God, you, you would think God would make the Bible the easiest book in the world to understand. The simplicity of it would just be easy. You'd think it'd be just a few words, you know, maybe, you know, not, not, not you know, just, just, just easy to understand. That's what I would do if I were God, but, but, but why? Why would you allow the Bible to be written in such a way that it would be the easiest book in the world to misunderstand? Why? For example, salvation. What do you hear about salvation from mainstream Christianity? You will hear that it is the easiest thing you will ever do in your entire life. It's easier than slipping up on a, you know, a wet pavement on a banana peel. You know, it's just the easiest thing. There's all kinds of room, you know, just for everybody to come down. Just raise your hand, give your heart to the Lord, give your hand to the preacher. Just, you know, all, all, all heads bowed. It's so easy. There's no embarrassment either, you know. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. We don't want to see anything, you know. We're blind anyway. And if you invite Jesus into your heart, raise your hand. Oh, say thank you, brother. You're saved, brother. Brother, brother, yeah, 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 yeah. Sister Sue, you know, you're saved, saved. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. You would think that salvation is the easiest thing in the world to do. And yet Jesus said this, Matthew 7 and verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in there. 
because straight is the gate, meaning rough, difficult, and narrow is the way which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. Now, this is amazing what Jesus is saying. You know, you know I mean, he, he, he comes along and says, look, the way to life is not a bed of roses. It's not all heads bowed and all eyes closed, and if you invite me into your heart, just raise your hand. No, no, that's not, that, that's not what it's all. So Jesus tells us the exact opposite of what you hear from mainstream churchianity. Why do religious people so misinterpret the Bible? Why? Why? I mean, it's like deliberate or something. It's like the most simplistic scriptures and statement. They can't get it. Jesus said, Matthew 5 and verse 17, Think not that I have come to destroy the law of the prophet. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. The very thing Jesus said, don't think it. Don't let it enter your pea brain mind that I have come to destroy the law is the very thing millions of Christians are thinking today. They're thinking the very thing Jesus said, don't think it. Don't think that I've come to destroy the law of the prophets. And, it, and it, yep, that's exactly why Jesus came to this earth to destroy, to abolish, to do away with the law, to nail it to its cross, to fulfill it, whatever. That Christ, that Christ came to do away with the law. Now, according to Thayer's definition, all right, what's Thayer's definition? Well, you've heard of a Strong's Concordance before. I mean, it's, it's, it interprets the Greek and Hebrew of the Bible. Okay, Thayer's definition of this word fulfill means obey, Jesus obeyed it as it should be. To obey as it should be. Okay, that's what the word fulfill means. To obey as it should be. Don't think that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy but to fulfill, to obey it as it should be. You see, if Jesus did not obey the law as it should be, we wouldn't have a Savior. Okay? Of course he had to obey it as it should be. Because if he had failed to obey the law as it should be, we would not have a Savior. He would have disqualified himself. Okay? Let's continue on. Matthew 10 and verse 34. Think not that I have come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. Now, what in the world is this all about? I mean, I, mean, I think about the Christmas story, you know? Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. You know, we're all just, it's all about peace and love. And we're all out here loving each other. We're in this traffic jam and we're flipping people off and we're charging a credit card up to the hill. Money we don't even have. We're just having a great time with peace and peace on earth. And in the traffic jam is wonderful. And in the, you know, black, black, what is it? Black Friday where people get trampled to death and killed like a bunch of wild pigs going into a hurt, you know, Heard of wild pigs going into the slop trough, you know. People get killed, get run over, whatever. You know, peace. It's all about peace and, and loving Jesus. And it's, 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 you know, Jesus is up in heaven saying, all this for me. Look at that peace. There seems to be a disconnect, okay? There seems to be a disconnect somewhere, all right? Now, the question is this. If you were God, why would you allow the Bible to be written in such a way that it would be easy, so easy to be misunderstood? 
Did you know that Jesus answers this question? We're going to read it. I mean, I don't know if you if you're you're big enough to understand. Well, big enough you're big enough to understand it, but whether you're big enough to accept it is another question. It has to do with the purpose of Jesus' parable. Now, if you've been in Sunday school, you've been taught a lie, and the lie is this: Jesus spoke in parables to make the Bible easy to understand. To illustrate, he spoke in these illustrations so that people could better understand what he was saying. No, you've been lied to about the Bible. That's not the reason Jesus spoke in parables. A parable is a riddle. I don't like riddles. You know, riddles have to be figured out. Okay, that's what a parable is. It's a riddle that you've got to figure out. So Jesus is speaking to all these people in these riddles, and the disciples realize, uh-oh, they're not getting it. In fact, I'm not sure if we're getting it. Okay, so Matthew 13 and verse 10, and the disciples came. To Jesus and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? The masses of people you are speaking to are not getting it. They're just not understanding what the riddle is. What was Jesus' answer? Well, I'm speaking to them in parables so that it'll be more easy for them to understand. Let's take a look at Jesus' answer. Matthew 13 and verse 11, he answered, okay, here's his answer. And he said to them, because it is given unto you to know the mystery of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. What? Wait a minute. Why not? He's speaking to 12 disciples. He's saying to you, it is given to know, you 12, it's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, the masses, it's, they're not going to get it. They're not going to get it. Does that fit your theology about Jesus just, I mean, just, desperately trying to get everybody saved and then you know just that doesn't just come down to the altar just give your heart to the lord and all these people are getting does that fit your concept of the real jesus and yes i said the real jesus because there is a counterfeit that is taught out there in mainstream christianity and i'm telling you about the real jesus okay Matthew 13, verse 13, Therefore I speak I unto them into par in parables, because they seeing, see not, and hearing, they don't hear, neither do they understand. Listen, listen closely. People only see and hear what they want to see and hear. You know, if you're, I don't know, if, you, if you're, uh, uh, 20 some 26 seven years old you ought to know this by now you don't know it as a child you don't know it as a teenager you don't know it in your early 20s but if you're in your late 20s you should know this by now that people only see and hear what they want to see and hear and this is particularly so when it comes to the bible it's really so when it comes to the Bible that people only see and hear what they want to see and hear. And so we come back to this statement that Peter made, 2 Peter 3 and verse 16, about the apostle Paul. As also in all his epistles, speaking in things 
in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, twist, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Yes, I know I'm repeating this, but you desperately need to get this. They take Paul's, Peter is warning, they take Paul's teacher, teaching and they create a lawless theology. The law is a curse. The law has been done away with. The law has been nailed to the cross. The law is a burden for you to keep. The law has been abolished. You are dead to the law and the law has been fulfilled. Yes, that's what they do. Those that are unlearned and ignorant and they twist the scripture to their own destruction. Why do they misconstrue Paul's teaching about the law? Why? Well, first of all, preachers have been taught this in seminary school. How to, to misconstrue God's, you know, what Paul said. They really have been taught that in seminary school. Maybe I should say cemetery school, but they just pass this on, along to their congregation. So the listener, that's, that's, that's the people sitting in the church, buy into it, and it's what they, listen, listen, listen closely. They buy into it, and it's what they want to see, and it's what they want to hear, and it's what they want to believe about the law of God. Okay? Don't ever assume that I'm just going to church and my church has got the truth and they know the truth right down to the core of their being. And because I a long time ago raised my hand, gave my heart to the Lord, I'm a Christian, I'm heaven bound, and I'm just, I know it all. I know it all. Most Christians don't know a thing about the Bible. One, they don't read it. And they sure don't know anything about the Old Testament. And the two go together. You know, so the average person doesn't even bring his Bible to, to, to church. You know, they don't need it. You know, they're just spoon fed. It's like someone drills a hole in your head, pops a funnel in there, and pours in mainstream churchianity. And you just bought and paid for it. And that's it. I know I'm saved. I'm heaven bound. I, I got the truth. Even though I don't know anything about the Bible. Okay, but I got the truth. Now the question is this. If you were God, why would you allow the Bible to be written in such a way that it would be so easy to misunderstand? You know, Jesus sort of answers this question again. John 6 and verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. You know, no man can come to me. Man, that's a fascinating statement. You mean if I wanted to, I couldn't? No man can come to me unless the Father draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. Have you ever asked the question, why is the world you and I living in, living in why is it not getting better? Why is it going downhill? Like the country western song, you know, like a snowball headed toward hell. Why is it going downhill? Why gender confusion? Why do boys pretend to be girls and girls pretend to be boys? You know, there's only one way that we get here. There's only one way that you get here, you know. You have a male and female, and hopefully they were married, and, but sometimes not, you know. And uh, the male has a penis, the female has a vagina, and a male sperm cell called a zygote united with a female egg. And there were millions of these sperm cells competing against one another. Millions of them competing. And you, 
that one sperm cell, you want out against all those other millions. So that ought to tell you something, you know, maybe you're special. You're special and you don't know it, you know. And uh, that's how, that, that's how we all, there is no other way to get here. So a boy pretending to be a girl or a girl pretending to be a boy is so much silly nonsense and foolishness. One day they'll get it. One day they'll ask the question, how did I get here? And there's only one answer as to how we all get got here. You know, I once heard a story, and uh, I forget where I heard it at, but it was Billy Graham confessed to his family that he felt like he had been a failure. The reason was quite simple. After, be, after being seen and heard by millions, he did not see a nation that was any closer to God. Think about that. If you could resurrect Billy Graham today, right now, and you could ask, what was the impact of your preaching on the people and their children that would come along afterwards? What has been the impact? As you look at our children who don't even know what they are, and who are confused about their identity. How, you, know, you know, despite all the Christian broadcasting and evangelism and soul-saving campaigns, there is about an 84% fall-away rate. Yeah, 84% fall-away rate. My point is right this. Right now, God is only calling a first fruit. Yes, I don't expect you to understand that. Why? Because you don't keep the holy days. Because you reject the holy days. And one of the holy days is Pentecost, first fruits, which explains that right now God is calling a first fruit. And there's going to come a later harvest, later, called the second resurrection. But right now, God is only calling a first fruit. And Jesus said, no man can come to me. John 6 and verse 44, except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Romans 11 and verse 7, Paul says, What then? Israel has not obtained that which he seeks for, but the election has obtained it. The election, the first fruits, have obtained salvation. If you are called, if you are one of the first fruits, then today is your day of salvation. And notice this next statement. And the rest were blinded. Yeah, God can do that if he wants to. Who are you to argue against God? Well, you can't blind people, God. You're trying to get everybody saved right now. No, the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God has given them the spirit of slumber. Let this sink into your society. Just, think, just apply this verse to your society right now. According as it is written, God has given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. Now, when it says God blinds people, it does not mean they are eternally lost. It just means now is not their time. Revelation 20 and verse 5, But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. 
the good news is there is a future resurrection called the rest of the dead. That's the good news. In fact, that's the best news you're going to hear today. In our sin-sick, rebellious, God-defying culture, there is a future resurrection called the rest of the dead. So if you were God, why would you allow the Bible to be written in such a way that it would be so easy to be misunderstood, to misunderstood, to be misunderstood, excuse me. Let me give you the answer to that because it's simply not God's will for everyone to get it at this time. I want to offer you something in closing called the last great day. Again, this is one of the, well, it's the last great day. It's one of the last great days, the last, last holy day in God's plan of salvation. This book will answer the question why untold millions have died without ever having had an opportunity for salvation. God's seventh and final holy day reveals when and how they will have their day of salvation. Now, you know, maybe you're concerned about the way the world is going. And maybe you don't see people getting closer to God, and you would be absolutely right. And uh, people falling away from church and uh, abandoning God. It, it seems like our whole society has abandoned God. But there is hope. There is grace. And it's found in this publication called The Last Great Day when God's master plan will be complete. Again, if you don't keep the holy days, and most churches do not, most churches do not know, they don't know anything about these are the feast of Jehovah. They don't keep them. They have been transferred and rebelled against. They've been referred to as Jewish holidays and all that, but they're the feast. Your Bible says they're the feast of Jehovah. And we have substituted our own pagan holidays for these days. And we're going to pay a great price for that. But if you want to come out of ignorance and understand what God's true plan is and to make meaning out of this crazy world in which you live in, you need this publication, The Last Great Day. I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? Why have countless millions died without ever having had an opportunity to understand the purpose of life and to be saved? Shocking as it may sound, God does not intend for everyone to understand His truth at this time. If He wanted everyone to understand at this time, everyone would understand. Untold millions have died without ever having had an opportunity for salvation. God's seventh and final holy day reveals when and how they will have their day of salvation. Order your free magazine entitled, The Last Great Day. Order by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Also, visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net.